Being good at your jobs. The Daystam Institute. Oh yeah. Marquis of Queensbury rules. Oh yeah. Strap in everybody. It's AQ episode. Oh yeah. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello, and welcome again to the Rules of Acquisition podcast, where we will talk about the greatest television show of 1994, or or the greatest sci-fi television show of 1994, if you had brand loyalty and weren't into that other one that was on. (laughs) Babylon 5. Babylon 5, yeah, I about said Battlestar. Man, it's not the few drinks that I've had that have contributed to my memory loss it's just my shitty brain uh, <laughs> anyways uh with me as always is james nolan hello and hugh crawford hello i'm wade bowen and okay today we're talking about a f- real favorite of everybody's i can tell um <laughs> <laughs> An episode called Q-less. Uh Joking around because I get the sense that you guys didn't like this one very much. Uh, this one is. I, uh, was, I was just while you were while you were in the restroom. I just I uh, I quoted Stringer Bell by calling it a forty degree day. Like <laughs> I have nothing to say. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm here and I'm engaged. But it it was a bit of a a struggle to find a. a uh, a lot of emotion on my part towards anything going on in the show. Most of my notes involve uh, Vash's fashion choices. Oh, okay. Interesting. I had Usually I notice the fashion choices a lot, but Vash's I did not. I always think of Vash the Stampede just because I spent a lot of time in college watching Trigun animes on oh, yeah. Cartoon Network. Um, but, oh, but... Oh, first you? Uh, it, the name of the episode, as we said, is Q-less. It aired on February 7th, 1993. Uh, the description is, Q, the Enterprise D's consistent, omnipotent annoyance, comes to harass a DS9 crew when traveling with his traveling companion, Vash, who refuses to travel with Q any longer. Um, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, it doesn't really get into... The, the Quark stuff, which is a big part of this, this particular episode. And every episode so far. <laughs> well, good, because he's one of the best characters. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, the Netflix description just says, Cisco and the crew must save the station from destruction or something. It's like, oh, okay, well, okay, that's, that's not the series blurb, that's for this episode. <laughs> that's their form response to most of the episodes. I might be an anomaly here. I actually like this one. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm interested. I I want to yeah, I want to hear I want to hear your side. I mean, I have a lot of, I took a lot of notes of nitpicky things. Mm-hmm. But it does a good it's it's a Q episode and I feel like you either like or hate Q episodes. I don't feel like there's indifference like in in next I'm I may be I may be indifferent. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I mean, like I, in Next Generation, they bring him on as Roddenberry's atheist god or whatever. Is like, yeah, that. I mean, uh, I don't hate him on Encounter at Farpoint. I think I hate 
and I don't hate John Delancey. John Delancey's a really good actor. He was good in Breaking Bad. He was good in West Wing. Like, I like John Delancey. I think I hate John Delancey's acting of Q. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think he's supposed to be obnoxious. True. Yeah. So, like, so I think, I mean, I, I think maybe he's just being effective. That made a lot of sense, actually. But I, I like the Q episode where he introduces the Borg. I actually like that episode in season two. I think that's a pretty good. It's one of the shining spots in season two. Yes, it is. Mario, Mario Hurley's uh, brought that on the show. <laughs> but um, I liked that episode a lot. Uh, the rest of them, I, I probably don't remember at all. Yeah. I rewatched uh, Voyager last year, and Q is absolutely horrible in those. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Those episodes, to me, are almost unwatchable. This, by contrast, is a little bit better. I feel like this... Like I've said before, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is a show with obligations, <laughs> and this is like right off the bat. It's up, you know, got to check the Q episode obligation off its list. And by some strange way, this it's like some sort of like character algebra where Q is the common denominator and seeing how people react to them will be a telling sign of what the audience is going to see from here on out. And, you know, Q's interaction with Cisco is serves that sort of purpose. Yeah. I have thoughts on that. (laughs) That's what I like, because you're early on in the season. This is like, okay, this is how we differentiate captains or commanders in this case, because Cisco is just a lowly... uh, Yeah. And then Q knows just how to push his buttons. Oh, that's why you've never had command of a ship. And it was nice that we're like, oh, oh, I liked all the... Well, Picard would do this differently, and, and then... They're pretty heavy-handed with, I'm not Picard. Mm-hmm. This is how he's different as the leader of the show. Yeah. He's easier to provoke. I like that about him. He's a hothead. Okay, so I'm going to introduce this in. Because we, we, we seem to have a motif of talking about diversity issues on the show. So I'm just going to say, is there something about it that's, that sort of ruffles feathers that you have a black captain or a commander, and his response to Q is violence? Oh, as opposed to Picard's sort of reasoned sophistication. Interesting. I didn't even think of it that way. Oh, really? That, I guess, could be a little problematic. I, I thought about that, too. I, and I think Avery Brooks does a good job of tempering what sort of representation you see on the screen. Uh-huh. I think uh, he does not. He's very careful not to play the angry black man yeah. Uh, yeah. cliche. Mm-hmm. And I think that. You know, and sometimes he's just confounded by Q. Like when he gives that high pitched what? You know? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have my issues with his high pitched vocal styling sometimes, yeah. but I thought he's very much he, he's not like an angry black man. He's just like right. no a natural response to a regular human, not this enlightened Horatio Hornblower tactician. And he was provoked twice violently mm-hmm. by, by Q. Right. So I think he's more realistic. I think you want to punch Q in the face. And yeah. everybody who's watching Next Generation episodes and you're watching Q, everybody's thinking as an audience member, why doesn't somebody just punch him? <laughs> you know, and finally Cisco does. I think Cisco lives in the real world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I like it too. I just, I, I know, like, when I watched that, I was like, that would be written different today. That's the only, and I'm not saying that I yes. think it is problematic or whatever, but I, I think that... When I saw it, I thought of it. It's definitely an interesting observation. Yeah, I think it's smart to point out. Yeah, I, I don't think that I believe that it was 
necessarily, you know, a microaggression to show him that way. But, um, God, I do, I, you do use the language of social justice warriors quite a bit. So, but, um, okay. So I don't <laughs> think that necessarily it was that, but it definitely came up in my mind. And it was really the only thing I could think of the first time watching it. That being said, the second time he's like, no, it was cool that he punched him. Yeah. I mean, I think they are going out of their way to show Cisco as a cooler character, right. which may be racist, racial, racist in itself. But I think, <laughs> but I think they're going out of their way to show him as cooler, and punching him is definitely cooler. Well, it's not like they make him rap anytime or anything. But, <laughs> no, no, yeah, they don't go overboard. So <laughs> Picard's a pretty straight British white guy, straight laced, not you know. <laughs> But, you know, they just show him like a regular person and not like, let's make him, quote unquote, urban or something really problematic. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But, man, I've noticed a lot of things to talk about just nitpicking in this whole episode. Uh, (laughs) Like, even in the opening scene. Oh, but she here. Talking about Roddenberry's, like, utopian vision of the future. Boy, women are boring in the future. (laughs) <laughs> if all it takes to impress him is talking about a math test or well okay that, okay let's go back to that scene because i can't tell because you have the the great authorial eye of uh o'brien there sure the side eye and that scene. so okay so just to set the stage what happened what's happening is that bashir is trying to woo a woman by talking about his medical exams (laughs) yeah and his adventures taking his medical exams yeah you think he's talking about a fight but no he's talking about a test Mm -hmm. and it works every time he says like billy d williams (laughs) but i think you're supposed to think that bashir has never touched a woman in his life that i i think maybe he's supposed to be coming across as that kind of guy who's like a dumb nerd who's just trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and never really sticking the landing and i wonder and he's a braggart and he's sort of all show yeah that's what that's a way to read that scene so he thought that that's well i'd say that's the way they maybe that's maybe the writers did it somebody should have told the director because the woman is like oh impressed by it yeah that's true yeah it's pretty and then I couldn't tell what she's not a Dabo girl, right? She's not a girl that's being paid to be interested. In. No, she's a Bajoran, right? Okay, so he's not he's not telling this to like the Hooters waitress <laughs> who's, who's acting interested because of he'll tip her, right? Uh, so I, yeah, maybe you're right, but I, it is very ridiculous. But I can't tell how how it's supposed to be ridiculous. Yeah, I couldn't either. I, I think you're supposed to judge Bashir harshly. Because of O'Brien's sort of eye rolling and and definitely we're all supposed to be rolling our eyes at him. They should have just made it not work. <laughs> You're right, but you know whatever. Have the woman uninterested in it? Yes. I think that the, what you guys are pointing out is a problem in general. Like we don't know, like that we've had throughout the first six episodes is we, we don't always know what they were trying to accomplish with, with any given <laughs> yeah. character scene. Yes. So it's something that we come back to over and over again. It's like, what are we supposed to feel about this scene? And we both have, you guys both have evidence for both arguments, you know? <laughs> right. You're, like, you're like, both right. You know, you can both make cases that he's supposed to look this way or no, he's supposed to look this way. But that's just a testament to how poorly directed that some of these scenes are 
Yeah. Uh, but though, make note that O'Brien is just not saying anything, and this is a theory of my own that's bullshit, and it doesn't play out really well enough to make it like a good case that it works. Mm-hmm. But then, okay, moving on to the next scene, they're having struggling to get people out of a shuttlecraft because Dax is... This, is, this scene was very confusing to me. <laughs> Dax is stuck in a shuttlecraft... And then they're like, oh, we got two life signs readings. And then uh, Bashir's like, no, we have three. And then there's only two people in there. But really, there's three because Dax is a trill and she's two people. But nobody knows this shit unless they've been paying too close attention. Because then they say there's three people in there, but only two come out. Unless you know that Dax is a dual organism, that doesn't make any sense. Wait, I, I thought that they were reading Q on the ship. Well, were they? Yeah, that was the other thing. Maybe they're reading Q on the ship, but he doesn't show up on readings anyways. I think that's what it was. I think you're thinking you're giving Dax more thought than the writers have given <laughs> Dax at this point. Oh, so it was Q that they were reading? Because Yeah, it was Q that they're... He shouldn't show up on the readings anyway. He's a godlike entity. You know, calling it. But I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He can show up however he wants. The bigger issue, that that actually is not my issue. The bigger issue with that scene is, we've seen this a thousand times. Why do you need to open the damn thing? Just go to a fucking teleporter room, teleport them out. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I didn't even think about that. They do that every time before a thing blows up. Why do they? I don't understand why anyone walks anywhere on the show. But you're right. You can just, you should never have a door opening drama in the show. You can. (laughs) Right. Well, usually they don't. They're like, okay, O'Brien, teleport them out of there. And then the thing blows up. Mm -hmm. But I guess maybe. They're docked, and they don't want to take out the station. I don't know. I'm overthinking it. Oh, you guys bring up an even better point, though. I never even realized this. Why do they have docking pylons in the first place? Why doesn't? Why don't you just have everybody orbit the damn thing and transport down? That's a good point. And it, I don't know. Why does it? I mean, the whole the whole damn ship is is basically docking pylon, and and I, I have no idea why. Well, like the poorest, the poorest. In most ignorant species have transporters in this show. Mm-hmm. Well, they still have... To, it makes sense if you think about it. They need backups. If the transporters go down, you have ships coming to stay there anyways. You might as well make a docking port on it, right? And you need a backup in case the teleporters go down that you can do it manually. Okay. Two ports. But why do you have to have the damn thing look like a spider in space with its <laughs> arms you know, turned inward? Uh, Cardassian architecture. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Fucking Cardassians. <laughs> Fucking Cardassians. You're right. We. I miss Cardassians. We need to get some 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 spoonheads on the show soon. Miss. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to say the s word. <laughs> that's racist, James. I'm racist against Cardassians. Not, that's you're not. A, you're a resident social justice warrior. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, I, uh, you know, everybody, everybody's racist against something. Now, uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, the only thing I've noticed in these early scenes is that Vash is wearing possibly the ugliest jacket I've ever seen on a Star Trek character. It looks like a spray painted uh, Michael Jackson type thing. It was very distracting. And I think the only reason I noticed it is because I, I think that I found Vash, qu- Vash is quite attractive to look at. Sure. Uh, and, and, <laughs> Apparently, me and Picard are interested in the similar women, and uh, I believe it. Yes, so that was the only thing I've noticed in all of this stuff. That's pretty much. I was also sort of like intrigued that there is a bank 
at the Deep Space Nine with uh, with like yeah. uh, safety deposit boxes. Oh yeah, <laughs> I would like yeah, to know yeah. more episodes set in the Bajoran Bank, right? With with its um, Bajoran version of Otho from Beetlejuice. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Maybe I'm only thinking of that because at the same film festival where I met uh, Nurse Ratchet, Otho is also from my hometown. Oh, you met Otho? Well, I saw him. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's from Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, really? As is Nurse Ratchet, and I—they were both at a film festival. Oh, wow! <laughs> I saw them one time. The end. That's fascinating <laughs> that you met Otho. <laughs> Uh, the bank scene was laughably long. I thought, like, I thought most of the scenes in this episode, I think they were, they were vamping. Like, I think like you see her, let me just go through the first act, how much foot dragging there is in this episode. You see her and pack every item in her bag to put in that safety deposit box. They talk about each item. They place it in. Only one of them has any importance to the plot of the show. But you talk about the dagger, we talk about the statue, we talk about the bag of gems, everything. Then he talks about how to establish a password for her to set up her security system. Then we see her set up her security <laughs> system. We see her enter her passcode. They see her put a ball into the safety deposit box and lock it. Then she goes back to her room. Then you see her unpack her bag twice in that scene. At, yeah, at least because Q keeps making it reappear because he wants her back. Yeah, I, and that's cute, but there is an astonishing amount of just business in this episode. Later on in the episode, during the auction, you see them auction off every piece from her bag. Yeah. They had to meet their time, their 42 minutes, I guess, and they were scrambling. You couldn't give Kira a scene? You couldn't give Dax a scene? I mean, like, we I don't know. That's the way I was... I, that's so sort of the way I was feeling with this. Right. I see what you're saying. I think that they could have had a compelling, like, C story instead of all the packing <laughs> yes. and unpacking. Yeah, that would have been nice. So that was that was something that I noticed, is that this scene is going on forever. Yeah. And then you move on to the Ferengi haggling. Yeah. That's fun, I guess. Yeah, that's fun. Like... If you ever need to negotiate with the Fringy, just jack off his ears. You can get whatever you want. Yeah, that was she basically gave him a hando, didn't she? Oh yeah, Is, isn't that basically what we saw? Yeah, how yeah. I, I was she just reached re- straight okay, for that. Deep. I'm going to ask this question: Are Ferengi's ears their genitals? They're erogenous <laughs> zones for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's their erogenous zone. I think they're lucky enough to have you know. That's not how they reproduce, but that's how they get off. Okay. <laughs> Which, uh, from an evolutionary from an evolutionary standpoint, doesn't make sense to me. But well, so, when Ferengis are are home alone, do they rub their own ears? Oh yeah, they look at yeah. That's they that. go into a holodeck and have um, webbed handed masseuses yeah, there's do that. it. But like, is there going to be? There should be a scene where Nog is like where. Cisco walks into a room and Nog is like rubbing his ears and is really embarrassed about it. I don't know. <laughs> Leave me alone, man. Leave me alone. And it's like, what is that? That most over here right now. <laughs> right. And then they have to negotiate like a payoff to never mention it again. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, that, that that most definitely happened. I can guarantee that happened at one point. Okay, yes. So yes, so they But but actually it's it's pretty hard to surprise Quark. It's pretty, and so you got to give it to Vash 
that she had that that, that skills like right off the bat. Yeah, you know? it's an interesting character. They went to a lot of trouble to develop. I mean, she's a she's a good character. I don't know the actress's name. I should know that, but I don't. But anyway, I mean, she's a good she was a good actress. She was playing a character that had a you know Jennifer Hetrick. All right, and I mean, she's good and like it's a callback. It was been a you know one of the things that I thought was you spent a lot of time developing a character who leaves the entire show like at the end of this episode so like i guess that's interesting but i don't know at this time where i feel like everybody that i'm supposed to care about is so underdeveloped why right, right. we're spending a lot of time developing characters that yeah this this episode was not about developing characters but about establishing this show in relation to the next generation. Yes. Everything is like, well, we it was. Yeah, it's character algebra. Yeah, it was. Totally so was. so we can put this in the obligation column. This entire, not just that Q was in it, but right. that Vash was in it. And that it was, uh, it was yet another episode trying to hug bonds with the next generation. Right. Like if you hadn't seen, if you didn't know who Vash was, you would be like, well, who the fuck is this? Oh, except that O'Brien talks like o'brien recognizes her i can't say for certain did he even have a line in the episode of next generation where she showed up uh, probably not no, probably not and then q even says no. at one point oh you're one of the little people like you don't mean yeah, shit. He, which yeah he's I like i don't even know you and then <laughs> yeah which i like this is part of what i liked about this episode in that context is like he's like well yeah and and also but that also brings up my point of as they're positioning maybe O'Brien is the guy that sees everything, but doesn't necessarily interact or is involved. Oh yeah, like that opening that's scene. What maybe I that's like what they're the doing most. with that opening scene where there he's rolling his eyes at Julian because he sees everything and is like, yeah, okay, but he can gossip about Vash later. It's like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, one of the interesting things to me about this about this episode is Q's relationship with the actual station usually whenever q appears on a ship he wreaks havoc and everything's turned upside down but deep space nine is such a shithole to begin with that they barely <laughs> notice his presence really yeah. like the everyday business of deep space nine is not affected that much yeah that's another thing i liked about this is that it puts him in a different context it puts him in the friends he's friendzoned. he's been friends yeah, and he's like uh yeah and it's like i'm not gonna fuck with shit shit sucks here and then everybody blames him he's like oh hey mm. i'm not gonna mess with he's it basically I'll... mr mixoplex oh totally. superman yeah that's a good that's, call that's basically what he he's 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 mixoplex and there's just no way to get him to go away like you can't say his name backwards and he'll disappear <laughs> but he's an amalgam nation of all of of uh like the sp- angry space gods in the original Star Trek, just condensed into one like species and character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it seemed like every other episode of the original series had some sort of angry space god that was omnipotent, that knew Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> or was the form of a crystal, or you know, yes, yes, and and they finally just like it was the you know there was getting one character to just facilitate all of that. Yeah. Except that, um, the bartender knew Mark Twain on next generation. (laughs) Yeah. Right. 
that was actually that was actually really cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that probably ultimately is that the Q had so little to do in this episode. I'm not even really sure. I mean, you didn't need Q, and I know that for a fact that the story was pitched by um, actually by one of those writers that were fired that was fired in season one by uh, Gene Roddenberry. Uh, her name is Hannah Louise Shearer. She was she was fired in season one of Next Generation. Yeah, they brought her back on for this. She was one of the thirty the thirty writers fired. She was actually show I guess had some sort of showrunner position for the last six episodes of the first season one. But the only other thing that she ever wrote for Star Wars was she pitched this episode Star Trek and then start. Yes. Did I say Star Wars? You <laughs> yeah. certainly did. I was going to let it slide, Fuck. but I felt like I had to say something. <laughs> you got to edit that out. I can't. I can't we, we will lose all credibility if they keep that up. The, okay. Um, <laughs> the, for Star Trek, uh, it was the only thing else she wrote, and it was just a Vash episode. There was no Q. And then hmm. uh, the powers that be stuck Q in it. Oh, man. And well, that makes sense because she left with Q. You can't. It makes sense from a, uh, from a producer's even like the how did she get to the Gamma Quadrant in the first place? She could have said Q dropped me off. It sounds like they weren't sure that they were going to get the actor to play Q, so maybe she without, pitched it uh, without him. I don't know. Well, you see, you guys are getting right. You guys are getting into the thing that I was going to change about this. That's actually what I was. You guys, I cannot believe that's a part of <laughs> the actual story of how this episode came to be. Because my suggestion if I was going to change one thing was to split this episode in two and make it a Vash episode and then give Q his own separate episode. Like looking for Vash or that Vash is still like you have one episode about Vash. No, nothing to do with Vash. Uh, oh, having I see. I know Vash. You solve the Vash in the gamma quadrant problem by having one line when she gets, you know, beamed aboard by saying an old boyfriend took me there. Oh, yeah. I was, you know, the Q, the entity known as Q, Dropped me off for the Gamma Quadrant, and then Cisco says, "Oh yeah, I was there at the symposium on <laughs> Q. That's completely feasible." And then she goes about her her business. She's such a shady character, and she's so you know interesting on a few different levels that she fits really well with the Deep Space Nine world. Yeah, yeah. That you don't need Q at all. Well, I agree. But what I like about this as a Q episode is that you're right. That might have worked better. But I feel like a Q episode later on would work worse. It would be what I don't like about Q episodes. What I liked about this one is it was just like him basically just chasing an ex-girlfriend. But <laughs> it was an interesting human interaction that I hadn't, didn't have to worry about that. He didn't really give a shit about the station or testing anybody. He's just like, I'm here for her. I'm not going to do some weird tricks like I did with the card. Yeah. I'm just going to... All right. I'm more playful and not... I liked him not being the reason for the conflict. I liked him just being on the sidelines and like commenting on it more than actually being the impetus behind well, it. Well, the, the way you fix that problem is, is to have him arrive at the station, want to cause conflict, but then realize that the station has got enough conflict that like he's second <laughs> fiddle and then leaves butt hurt. <laughs> yeah. You know. But then that's like a scene. Yeah, then you have some interesting like B story with Abajor and the Cardassians or a C story with Dax for the first time. But you're right. You're probably right. Just just leave him out of it. <laughs> just don't do a Q you episode. Wedge in a, yeah, you fix that by wedging in a better episode. No. Um, <laughs> um, but 
I wish he had something to do here. Because if you if you do put it on paper, there, I mean, he could be actively trying, like, their romance could be more consequential. But he he says he likes her, she's done with him, and by the end, basically, it's the same disgust. They try to do the little hook at the end where she he kind of knows her, and he knows that she's going to go off and try to steal some jewels for Quark or whatever, uh, instead of taking the teaching position or whatever that she she was offered. But I I still think that ultimately the core conflict never changes. He's pining for her. She doesn't like him anymore. And that's where it is at the end of the episode. And so, like, if you're going to spend so much time on this episode, it's not like riddled with plot already. You you could have like a, I don't know, there could be some sort of change. You know, she could fall into his wiles. She could fall back into his arms or whatever. They They could fuck. And then, like, at the end, she realizes that that's wrong because she, the thing that drives her to steal uh, space squid yeah, embryos I th- I thought, I is also the drive that the makes year. her like Q, and maybe she needs to get away from that. I don't know. And so, in the end, she leaves him. Yeah, well, you can't have Q fucking because that's just... That well, I don't mean... You, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But they have fucked, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Most definitely. Well, no, the thing that attracts... He's above... Probably, sure, yeah. But I like that scene at the end, and I thought it humanizes him to the extent what he likes about her isn't that he's, she's mortal or anything, is that he can see a nebula and actually appreciate it, like the grandeur of it. I, I did like that, and I do think that's... I, I liked that. I think that was... Uh, I like that scene. The it was. <laughs> I don't know why it was like his little teardrops in the rain speech at the end, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I like that, and I do like that that sentiment is expressed. I wish that was a... Uh, like, Dressing on a better episode. Yeah. I mean, I do realize that I'm in the minority that actually like this one. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Actually, I, I liked it okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a like a C minus or C plus B minus episode. Okay. I'd give it a C minus. And in the context of the whole show, just uh, other little nitpicky things that I noticed. Things that, okay, this just proves that they didn't know what they were doing yet. They didn't have an arc plotted out. They're probably struggling, like, in the first couple of seasons of mm-hmm. Next Generation. They're, they got on board a little bit faster and started from a better place. But as far as her, she's the utmost authority on the Gamma Quadrant. She's like, maybe I'll write a book, she says at one point. But she <laughs> clearly doesn't, <laughs> because she doesn't know anything about the... Dominion, which is which, yes, uh, that dominates the Gamma Quadrant. Five seasons of the show is all about. Yeah, it seems like that they more than the Romulans dominate the Beta Quadrant or or the Borg, the the Delta Quadrant. The Dominion dominate their the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah, like anything, anything that was thought or said would have been about the Dominion. So I. It seems kind of yeah. Well, that only proves that she she all of her knowledge about the gamma quadrant is is only through Q's eyes, like what he decided to show her, mm-hmm. because she didn't have any sort of agency yeah. in the gamma quadrant. Sure, right? Yeah, that's one meta way to read it, but also especially with that last episode where the guy's chasing the oh yeah most dangerous game around, like they don't know. <laughs> it's right. The writers don't know. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, at this point in the season, it's an alien of the week coming through the wormhole. Right. That's how they think they're going to do it. And then they realize that people aren't responding. They have to get a general threat, and then they come up with the Dominion later when they figure out 
how to do things. Yeah, there is zero. I mean, I I think that we all believe now that there's not a piece of paper anywhere where the name Dominion is written on it in Paramount Studios while this was going on. No, no one had that Dominion sketched out on a yarn board of how they're going to get there. <laughs> right. They're still figuring things out as they go along, which yeah. is how television was done in, in those days, I suppose. Two very, very inconsequential questions I have about the episode. Um, when Cisco is talking about Vash and Picard, and he says that he doesn't strike me as Picard's type, what was Cisco insinuating with that? That... Card has a stick up his ass, and that she's like a okay, you know, wild, interesting lady. Okay, and why would because because in, in my mind, in my mind, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, I that's what I thought too. Okay, okay, because I read it as because that's also a way of like I what Wade I don't said, know. I don't know. <laughs> but I was like, did you read it as were you, were you reading it through? How are they portraying this black man? <laughs> no, no, no. I was reading it as is he calling? Is he does he? I assume Picard was gay. <laughs> Like or something like that. No, but uh, <laughs> that's the way I, I was like. Oh. Is, he, is he insinuating that he thought Picard was gay? <laughs> but no, I. Which yeah. So so that was that. And then um, the only the most inconsequential thing I noticed is that at one point they have Vash wearing a necklace that fastens to her ears, and that is the most ridiculous thing I've seen in a Star Trek episode. Yes. Yeah, that was at the end. Oh, I didn't notice that. Somebody had fancy ideals about costuming that they wanted to apply to the Bajorans and then just turn it up a notch, I guess, with ear shit. And somebody has an ear fetish between the Bajorans, this ear necklace, and the Ferengi. <laughs> yeah. Outside of that, I got nothing. Does anybody... Hugh, you, Hugh, you got anything? No, I, I'm just still reeling from the fact that this was supposed to be just a Vash episode and that they had like shoehorned Q in there, and that was like my main complaint with the episode is that it felt shoehorned. Uh, <laughs> like I picked up on what it was actually. Yeah. So. Oh, another thing I noticed, <laughs> like they talk at one point when the station, oh, the station's going to blow up in fourteen hours. In two hours, we're going to start evacuating everybody. By the end of it, we're going to blow up in twelve minutes. Eh, don't tell anybody on the station. We'll just let them. Know. <laughs> They're dead, anyways. Yes, <laughs> but that's another one of those nitpicky things. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, they they hastened it. They had like eighteen minutes, and then he was like, "Let's do it faster so that we can get a clue on where it is." So, yeah. Why can't the ship go through the wormhole? The runabouts do because they're smaller. It's a bigger thing. It's not meant for that speed of travel. Or that velocity, it would tear it apart. Okay. I guess. That makes sense to me. No, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's fine. I was just, I, like, if it's a technical reason, but it just seemed like, like, they have shields and deflectors, which at some point I need to figure out the difference between those, because right. apparently it's important. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. uh, but I... I, I could I it seems like couldn't they just hold it together with space magic and like get it through? But yeah, you, they probably they did that when the first in emissary in the first episode. Oh they yeah, travel. Yeah, they move pretty. They put the shields to bulk it up to make they so they can stand the stress. I guess then a Cardassian attack. I guess the wormhole just puts more stress than that did. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Do we want to go through what we what we would change about this? Have we talked about it? But do we have a well? We covered for Hugh. Yeah, 
Yeah, you guys go. I, I, I would like to. I would be interested in hear what you guys would change. You go first, Wade. <laughs> oh, uh, mm, let's see. I don't know. Like I was saying, I actually like this one. I would. I would clear up a lot of those discrepancies I had. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I should have thought of that more. Oh, that's mm-hmm. perfectly valid. I would have, you know, in hindsight, I would have mentioned the Dominion or something, but that's just like, they didn't know what they were doing. That's Yeah, fine. it's just tying it in better. Like, I guess I'm starting to get frustrated that certain shows aren't about, like, I, you get a lot of Cisco in this, and that's good. You get cis, a moderate amount of Cisco in every episode, and you get a moderate amount of Quark in every episode so far. We've had one where no, there was no Quark. And I get why that is. He's he's good, he's funny, and he was probably a crowd favorite. And it seemed like to me, just as someone who didn't watch the show in the 90s, when I saw Deep Space Nine things, it was always Quark's face. So he was the face of the show. Uh, he was like the data of the show. But... I, um, it see. I would rather this show. If you're going to spend a whole episode about Vash, and you're going to spend a whole episode with Q, tie it like completely with a character that from Deep Space Nine. So, but they do the the sort of scatter shot thing, where you get a little bit of Bashir, but not much at the beginning. You get, you know, like you get like little sort of images here and there and there's like an oat, but like, I would like it. I, it's hard for me to say this is a Cisco episode. Yeah. And I, I, I wish that I could say that, you know? Yeah. No, actually I think that you, you, uh, tap into something. Yeah. If I had to change anything, this doesn't stand on its own as a deep space nine episode. This is a companion piece. It's only good in reference to what, to Q and Vash. Yeah. Next Generation, yeah. They talk about Picard all episode. None of their actual ensemble has anything to do in this except for mm-hmm. Quark. But he's only there to get his ears jacked off. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then they have one scene where they compare Cisco to Picard. Mm-hmm. But most of it's not even really about him. Yeah. It's, it's like, here's Q, these other things... But it's probably because people love Next Generation. How can we tie it in so that maybe people will watch this? That's definitely. And I think it was pretty – that's pretty simple as they just don't have con- – I think what you're seeing just in general is that you're seeing writers who don't have confidence in the concept yet. Yeah. And I think that's – I think that you can sum up every podcast we've done so far, it, except for the pilot, which had a lot of confidence in the concept, even though it, they went, did shoehorn – uh, Pat, uh, Patrick Stewart into the show. Yeah, but, but good well, they didn't shoehorn him in. Well, yeah, 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 they didn't shoehorn him in. It was a natural, fu- like it was a natural function of the story. This, like, they've shoot in the Klingon sisters. They've shoot in Vash. That you know, even the way they've used O'Brien has been shoehorned on. Totally. Yeah. So, um, right. Yeah. To so the it's, point that it irritates me. Yes. Yeah, so, so it, you know, you, it is very much a, it, they, they don't have confidence in the show and I think it, it shows. And I, I'm interested to see when they get an episode where they do have confidence in the concept. And I think we'll know it when we see it. I think they could have, here's what they could have done. I mean, Dax has not been used at all. If you wanted to tie Q to an actual member of, of Deep Space Nine, have Q had a friendship with one of uh, Dax's previous hosts, 
And, you know, Dax has special knowledge of Q and oh, yeah. something, something there like where Dax, yeah. Dax is the only one that could talk him down from something, from wreaking havoc. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. Oh. Or some sort of fascination of his with Trill or something. Yeah. And then she knows him. That would be one way to do it. Sure. Right there. That idea is. is yeah, that's that's true. I mean, that would have been at least something for her. Yeah. Some sort of relationship with it. Other than I know about him because I went to a conference once. <laughs> right. Right. Which they really do say. The Q Symposium. The Q Symposium, right. yeah. So I... But it makes sense that they would talk about that because it's the flagship. They, that actually makes a mm. lot of sense. Yeah. No, I, it's kind of boring and heady, but... No, I have no I have no doubt. I, I, I did believe that they wouldn't have a conference. I guess I just thought it was it was sort of... It's still it was, a little it was silly. Weak, yeah, it was I mean, weak tea, you know, to... As far as having a bond on the show, a work conference. You have right. a guy who basically, if you, if you just ca- casually watched Next Generation, would you know who the fuck O'Brien was? No, he's one of the little people. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he's just there to convey information from one show to the other, and yeah, totally. he leaves in the next episode. I think he's filming uh, Con Air or something. <laughs> so he's gone for like half the season after this. So, uh, he was in Con Air, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was, I thought he was, no, he yeah. was just in like small Irish films, like the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain. Or <laughs> no, he's in Con Air, he's the main antagonist to uh, shit, what's his name, Nick Cage? No, not on the ship, the guy that's not on the but the uh, high fidelity, what's his name, Cusack, John Cusack, oh, John Cusack. John Cusack. he's Cusack. the main um. Foiled John Cusack in that episode, in that episode, in that show, in that movie, <laughs> <laughs> that big dumb Jerry Bruckheimer movie. I think we have better shows ahead of us, but I, th- yeah, yeah this is, I mean, even this season, and even like maybe even this half a season, but I do think this is starting to wear, and I can see why. If this was the point where science fiction fans started leaving the show and never watching Babylon Five. Um, I don't know how good that was, but it seems like people talk about it as being really good. Right. I didn't watch it either. I could see why there was a sort of struggle to keep it afloat. Yeah, they're both about space stations, too, which is and they're problematic. Both political, complicated, right? Right. So, I do... One thing I noticed about this episode that I'm starting to note... So, I was watched Jessica Jones, and I noticed that this show... Uh, and Jessica Jones both have like sort of, you know, strong, sort of motivated, flawed females. And one of the things that I n- noticed is that a villain in these type of shows is a boy, as a unwanted boyfriend. Hmm. And so that's a, it, when you start having female sort of heroes and leads, you start getting new types of villains. And one of them is a overly attached boyfriend. So I, I, I thought that tied into Jessica Jones, something I was watching at a little motif that I'm starting to see re- reoccurring again. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, we're doing great. I tied this episode see, to yeah, it. Yeah, we're bringing Jessica Jones into it. See, this this is a timeless show. Yes. It's very important. <laughs> yes. It's worth talking about, right? Yes. Jessica Jones is dependent on Deep Space Nine. It would Deep not Space exist. Nine and the character Vash, yes. <laughs> right. so. But or whether that's true or not, I think uh, I think we're at a good stopping point. Yes. Uh, anybody else have any final thoughts to add? All right, I'm nope. done. <laughs> nope. nope. 
Uh, we got better episodes coming up. I think yes, everybody... the next episode is pretty good. I actually watched ahead, okay. uh, but it's a it's it is a Dax focused episode, and uh, it's about Dax, but it's more of a Cisco episode, and it's pretty good. Oh, this it's written. Yeah, it's the one where she goes on trial, and it's written by the DC uh, DC Fontana. Oh, fantastic! Who was yeah. the original? Yeah, she the was rich, on the original Star Wars track. Right? Yes, and that that and she was one of those shit talking Roddenberry and Chaos on the Bridge. So right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Three to beam up. Cool. All right. Three to <laughs> beam up. All right. Thanks for listening. We're done and we're beaming up. The end. Bye bye. Please follow us on Twitter at Acquisition Pod. And on Tumblr at the Rules of Acquisition Podcast.tumblr.com. Send us an email at Rules of Acquisition Podcast at gmail.com. You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have friends? For a hobby that is not Star Trek podcast related. That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this.